This podcast is produced by students in the University of Pennsylvania's pre-health post-baccalaureate programs. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed belong solely to the podcast creators and our guests, and do not necessarily represent the views of pre-health programs. To find out how the University of Pennsylvania can help prepare you for health professional school, visit upenn.edu slash prehealth. Hello there, listeners. You are listening to Dean Works with Pen Pals, bringing you Philadelphia's stories from a distance. And today we have fourth-year medical students at the uh, Perlman Medical School of the University of Pennsylvania, Samantha Allison and Taylor Lineberg. If you guys like to introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. Right. Um, so my name's Sam. I'm currently a fourth-year medical student um, at Perlman. Um, I like background on me. Um, I was born and grew up in Massachusetts um, outside of Boston. I grew up in a town called Hanover. Lived there for all first 18 years of my life. Um, then ended up hopping around mostly the East Coast for college. Um, ended up working in DC for a little bit after college in public policy consulting, IT briefly. Um, eventually decided I wanted to do medicine. Did a post back at Goucher College, um, which is just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and then ended up here at Penn for medical school. My name is Taylor. I'm also a fourth year medical student at Perlman. Born and raised in Pittsburgh, PA, and I went to NYU for undergrad for finance and economics. Um, I worked at JP Morgan in Manhattan for two years before realizing that medicine was my calling. That's the short version of the story. I went to Johns Hopkins for my post back and linked to Penn. Sam and I actually met while we were in Baltimore. She was at Goucher and I was at Hopkins and we met up one night after we both interviewed for Penn and decided that if we got in, we would be roommates. So that led us to Perlman together. They brought you guys together, fantastic. Uh, And now uh, you guys say that you're both fourth year medical students and I just wanna talk about what that means in the grand scheme of the medical tutelage. Yeah, sure. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, So, you know, first year, second year of medical school is very much uh, what we call preclinical, meaning a lot of classroom, book learning. Um, Your third year is usually when you do your core clerkships, meaning your clinical rotation. Um, And then fourth year is where you get to do a little bit more exploring in terms of electives um, in some clinical areas. And then also it's big because you're applying to residency and taking your board exams, like step one and step two. Um, So for Taylor and I, we're at the point now where we're both done with step one, done with step two, have decided what field of medicine we want to go into, um, have submitted our applications to those fields, and now we're just waiting to hear back about interviews and starting that whole interview process. Yeah, so just to add to that right now, what the the schedule that Penn operates on is they have a year and a half of preclinical and then you do a year of your clerkships and then after that you do your sub-I and your electives. Unfortunately with COVID this year we weren't able to pursue as many electives as we would have liked clinically because we weren't actually allowed to go into the hospital. Um, A lot of us were studying for step one at the time and a lot of us were just doing research and trying to fill our time with online electives and things like that but now that we're kind of at the end of things I personally don't have any more clinical rotations and my only kind of responsibility right now is both research as well as interviews. So Penn schedule allows you to kind of front load everything and spend the last few months of med school either doing electives or 
doing research. Interesting. And I really like how you touched upon with COVID and it wouldn't be a medical based podcast without mentioning that uh, pandemic that we have going on and starting kind of smaller scope. How do you think it's affecting the hospital setting in terms of, like you said, it's kind of more difficult to get into the hospital to do what you need to do as a medical student? Yeah, I think with that situation, it's, it's always ever evolving, you know, as a lot as along with everything else with COVID. When um, it first hit back in March, um, we as medical students were pulled off of any clinical rotations as, you know, the medical school and the health system tried to figure out what they were doing and making sure, you know, important things like PPE um, and stuff were adequately given to the people that needed it and that there was enough available and the medical school was not going to send us into the hospitals without proper PPE. Um, So at that time, we were mostly not in the clinical setting, which was interesting because I feel we were, you know, fourth year medical students at that time on different elective rotations. And I think for a lot of our classmates, and I know for me as well, it was, you know, jarring to not be able to be in the hospital, be on the ground and be helping out. Um, But at the same time, I think a lot of our classmates found really interesting ways to stay involved virtually through supporting people who are in the hospital, um, through getting PPE donations, um, through getting involved with like the media and talking about our experiences um, as medical students, you know, during this time. Um, But luckily since then, um, we are now back on clinical rotations in the hospital. Penn allowed us to go back um, in uh, July once there is adequate PPE, the numbers are much lower in Philadelphia. Um, so now if you are like a clerkship student or a fourth year medical student who wants to do an elective, um, you know, it's almost business as usual in the hospital. Everyone's wearing a mask, just like everywhere else in um, the country, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's really not much has really changed. Um, it was really that initial period um, of trying to figure out what was going on and how best to approach the situation. Completely agree. And another thing I would add is just the number of electives and the opportunities for students to get involved in person patient care are definitely lower than they were beforehand. However, I think the school has done the best job that they can in offering other sorts of clinical opportunities and restructuring certain electives to make sure that students get I mean, what we're paying for, we want to be able to go in and learn and help. But at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that patients are feeling safe and not overcrowded. And um, it's a tough balance, I'm sure. So uh, specifically for the last rotation I did, it was a dermatology elective. And a lot of the care that I kind of sat in on was telemedicine, which is really cool. It's not something that we ever really thought about participating in when we entered medical school, I think, but given the circumstances, it's been a good experience. Just see what that type of medicine looks like. I think what's tough for the actual physicians from that perspective is that it's billed differently. And so it's just a lot more volume also online and you don't get that classic patient physician interaction that so many of us go into medicine for. So I think that there's pros to it. Lots lots more people have access to care, but definitely cons with that, but ultimately good for us to see from a learning perspective this year. Awesome. Yeah, that was a perspective I didn't even think about with the upsurge in telemedicine. Thank you. And uh, now taking kind of a step back uh, in the 
in the midst of the pandemic, thinking about how is it affecting your perspective of healthcare in general with seeing healthcare being more at the forefront of media, what people are talking about, is your family more involved with like pushing you? It's like, now you need to be in healthcare because now it's the big thing. Um, I guess I would say some of my family is already in healthcare. My mom is um, a nurse. For me, like I, all the media attention, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but I really have a lot of conversations with her about what she's experiencing, what I've experienced. I mean, my mom works like um, in post-op, but when the pandemic first hit at her hospital, they really took all those people who were working in post-op because there were not a lot of surgeries anymore and sort of dispersed them around the hospital. So she was working a lot with COVID patients. They put her in, you know, the ICU or the ED or things like that. So I kind of didn't pay that much attention to like the noise in terms of, you know, all the attention from the media. I kind of just sort of, it was more of a personal level, like what's going on with my mom and what do I know and what is she experiencing? And I think in, in terms of how it shaped my view of being a healthcare professional, something I thought really interesting that's come out of this whole uh, experience is, you know, people's understanding of like ventilators now um, also understand like the discussions around death and how many people are dying and what does DNR and DNI mean, I think are really good discussions to be having and something that I hope continues um, as like a country and as a world. I also think that that's a very hefty question <laughs> given the yeah. climate currently, um, political climate, I guess I should say. But I have to agree with what Sam is saying. I think they're, despite kind of the fake news and a lot of the back and forth we see on the media with Fauci and everything. There are so many wonderful things that are coming out of this that we are seeing firsthand. And I think that a lot of what we can see and believe is what we do see in front of us. I think it's tough to kind of sift through a lot of the noise going on in the media right now. Um, but like Sam said, I think having end of life conversations, goals of care conversations, um, preparing for these types of moments is really important. I think people realizing that whether they have a condition, whether it's obesity or diabetes or anything like that, they're technically immunosuppressed, they're a higher risk population. I think that a lot of people, because they're asymptomatic or they don't take any medications. They don't think they're at risk. So I think that that's brought a lot of those conversations to the forefront, which I think is really important. Um, and more than anything, I think that we, as I guess, like fourth year medical students and not really medical professionals, we get to kind of see all this happen in front of us before we enter the field next year. I think it's just a really great opportunity to take in as much as we possibly can and come to our job next year with really great ideas and great listening skills and being able to kind of navigate these waters second. I don't want to call it secondhand, but we get the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of really great leaders that we've been working with this year. So I think that's a good thing for us at least. Yeah, and following the path of using this great leadership and bringing in a new skill set into the medical field with you guys transitioning into practicing doctors coming uh, soon, I kind of wanted to talk about how this huge filter of people starting 
at point A or point B or point C and then all ending up in the medical profession at point Z and how you think that's valuable to have these people starting from different places and ending up in the medical field and kind of bringing different talents to the table instead of all just being a robot under one idea. For me, all I can really speak about is my experience and then also the people that I know um, from the different backgrounds that went into my post back and things like that. But for someone like myself, I look at my life and I think that if I would have gone into pre-med in college, I'd probably be in business now. I just think that I got really burnt out, very much just wanted to find a space and place where I knew I was going to be happy long-term with my career. I have, I can't say obviously if I went into pre-med that I would switch into business, but I think that both careers very much are filled with really hard work, really long hours, and just a pension for burnout. I think that over the past four years, there's been a lot of conversations about wellness and taking time for yourself and prioritizing. And I think that's been really great and an exercise for myself. Um, but I, I can't really say that, you know, it would have been, I guess, better one way or the other. However, I will say that the fact that I was in business beforehand makes me that much more committed to medicine because I just know what it's like to sit at a desk every single day. I know what it's like to analytically think about clients without necessarily having an emotional aspect. And it just doesn't really align with who I am morally. Um, but that's just me. I, I don't know. But I think that other people who come from consulting and from nursing and from um, who are PAs and then become physicians. Everyone has a different perspective that they can provide. And I think that it ultimately just creates a more dynamic and collaborative team. I think people who have practice working in teams and communicating and putting the patient first and checking their ego at the door, I think that's what really helps if that makes sense, that practice. Yeah, and I think something that's um, cool about medicine, or I think is cool about medicine, is there's a clear path and structure. Like you do your pre-med school stuff. You go to med school, you go to residency, you go on to be an attending or fellow. Um, there are certain ways in medicine that they teach you to present patients. Like there's just some firm structures in place, you know, how rounds run, different things like that. Um, but I just think that having a diversity of people, a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of thought within that structure is really what makes medicine special. Um, the fact that there, I'm someone who, you know, I like Taylor studied economics and went to into business. I studied like history and Chinese and went into like some public policy consulting stuff, but we can still come into medicine and work really well together, I think is um, what's really special about the field. Gotcha. And it sounds like that uh, would translate well with even dealing with patient care with having this diversity of thought because the patients are just as diversified as the doctors that are treating them. So I think that's, that's a very interesting thing. And um, looking more towards how you guys see it, how do you guys believe that specialties 
are decided maybe in general or just how you went about deciding what kind of specialty you were interested in? I think it's such an interesting topic. I don't think there's any answer and nobody really knows why people pick what they pick. I actually had a friend who was working on a research project at one point about, you know, coming into medical school, surveying medical students about what specialty they thought they wanted to go into and then looking at them four years later where when they're where Taylor and I are now and did you go into that specialty? Did you go somewhere else? And what was the biggest deciding factor? Um, I don't think that she actually um, has the answer to that and all the data out there, but um, I think you're asking a question that's very um, difficult to answer. I think at the end of the day for me, um, I'm very logical and I take a long time to decide things, but at the same time, I kind of just go on emotion. So I logic it out to a certain point and then I just go with a feeling. So that's kind of how I decided to do internal medicine, which is what I applied into. To me, it logically was like, I like talking with patients um, and then I like adults because I like the pathophysiology. I like the option of being inpatient and being outpatient. I like the option of doing procedures some days and not doing procedures other days if I go into a procedural area of medicine. Um, but, but at the end, it's like, well, you know, I could have gone into a few different areas with that kind of thinking, but I just had the feeling of, I like medicine. I like the people. I feel like I can grow and continue to grow as a person in this field. And that's why I decided to apply into it. I, I feel like that's exactly how I would describe my path as well, which is why I find it so funny because a lot of us have the same kind of thought process followed by a gut feeling. Um, but at the same time, we all end up in different spaces and places. And it's obviously for different reasons. But for myself, I have just applied into ophthalmology and I was one of those students that very much liked every single one of my clerkships, some more than others, but I really wasn't like, the question of what do I want to do for the rest of my life wasn't going to give me that answer. It, I had to kind of reframe it. So for me, it was more, I knew I wanted to specialize. I was a generalist at JP Morgan. I'd kind of done that for two years um, and known a whole product suite upsell to clients and that I think helped me become more comfortable with the idea of narrowing down um, my knowledge base to one area of the body. I knew I really wanted to be in a residency where I could take care of adults and kids. I loved pediatrics, but I just couldn't commit to just taking care of kids. And there's really only a few residencies that allow you the opportunity to do that. And then I knew I really loved surgery, but I knew I didn't want to be a general surgeon. <laughs> so, so it's, um, adding all those up together, I knew I wanted to do a rotation in ophthalmology and in dermatology. Those are kind of the two that stood out to me. And ultimately I fell in love with the surgery aspect of ophthalmology because I knew I was going to love the medical care of whatever I went into. That's why I entered medical school. Um, it was that that kind of stood out to me, but ultimately it's it's just framing a question in a way that makes sense to you, and that changed all four years for me. I think it changes for everyone, and you just get down to the wire and you end up picking something. And I think what's kind of nice about medicine and what people don't realize is you actually 
can switch. You can go back to residency. I think it's uncommon, but at the same time, it's still possible. So I think that remembering that in the midst of all of this was a sense of comfort for me, um, even though I'm like, I very much love ophthalmology and I, I know I'm not going to switch out of it, but I think for other people who are still unsure, especially this year when we aren't able to do so many electives and determine what we want to do. I know a couple of my classmates were really confused and still are, but yeah, people tend to forget that. And as you said uh, in a talk both of you gave a week ago about um, don't fear pigeonholing and don't fear going for something with the fear that you're not going to find what you're looking for by just putting yourself in this bucket alone. Um, so you're saying that it's okay to really pursue something because it's possible to go back. Yes. This idea of pigeonholing for me stems from when I came into medical school, I was very much interested in applying into dermatology. That was kind of the thing I wrote down on a piece of paper, stuck it in an envelope. And then four years later, I opened it up and I'm applying into ophthalmology, not dermatology. But I thought I wanted to do dermatology. And the first thing out of so many people's mouths, both mentors and classmates is, oh, that's competitive. That's so competitive. And I'm like, so I don't know. Not that I think that I can do it, but it's more like, is that supposed to deter me? Is that a warning? Is that encouragement? I, I don't really know. I guess it's kind of whatever you make of it, but it's certainly not comforting. I think that it's so unfortunate that people feel deterred from maybe pursuing something they want to pursue purely because it is competitive or they don't think they're good enough. And that really struck a chord with me early on in medical school. I, if I had to give advice to anyone going into medical school, it would be to really give everything a fair shot and let your interests guide you. And don't be afraid to kind of pigeonhole yourself in a quote unquote competitive specialty, because I think that if you don't explore it, how will you know? Yeah, I just, I just wanted to come in there because I'm coming from a background of computer science and the pigeonhole principle in computer science means that for a limited number of operations or buckets of placement and an unlimited number of variables or objects, eventually one of those objects or variables will fall into a bucket twice. So I think that it's a very interesting thing that you're using it as a competition uh, analogy being that it can happen. <laughs> it can happen again there. So I think that's, that's, it's very interesting how we kind of circumvent and got to this final location. And do you have anything uh, to say as well, Sam? I would agree with Taylor. And I would honestly say I spent so much of my med school career trying not to pigeonhole myself. I try to say very open-minded and I think that's a good thing. But at the same time, I wish I had been a little bit more okay with exploring other areas of medicine and then ultimately not deciding to go into them. Um, like you can do research in anything. And as long as like, you know, you can talk about it and talk about how it helped you realize something or you, you know, literally got any skill out of it. Like you did it. It doesn't matter. Like I did anesthesiology research between my first and second year of medical school. Like 
and I can talk about it and how it was interesting and the skills I learned and I didn't ultimately go into anesthesiology, I'm like, that's fine. Um, I feel because I'm going into a field now, internal medicine, that's still very broad. Um, I'm trying not to make that same mistake. I'm trying to use electives now to figure out what do I want to do within internal medicine? Do I want to be a generalist? Is there a subspecialty I'm particularly interested in? And I'm just like exploring it and going for it. And I'm like, you know, I did a cardiology rotation and cardiology is really interesting and awesome, but it's definitely not for, not for me. Um, I just did a GI rotation last month and I loved it. And people will say, oh, GI is really competitive, as they will about cardiology. But I'm like, that, that's fine. You know, if it's really competitive, but it's what I love, then I'm not afraid of the competition. I'm not afraid of the hard work because it's what I'm passionate about. And so if you can have that mindset starting out med school and not being afraid of going down a route and then finding out, you know, this isn't for me or really committing to a route and then excelling at it, I think that's a great place to be. And I will add one more thing. If you are afraid of pigeonholing yourself, that's also okay too. But also think about kind of what Sam had said. You can kind of talk about all of your experiences and what you learned from it or not. And a good example of that is I just did um, research in hematology oncology. It was the first thing that we really learned about in our blocks. And I thought I was going to be an oncologist one day. So, um, but what I wanted out of that project was to own the research from start to finish. So write the grant, write the IRB, do all the research, write the manuscript, write the abstracts, own it all so that any research project going forward, I'd be able to just jump in and help out and not really need to ask for guidance. I'd have one, an N of one under my belt. And that project has been invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was interested in Durham. So, you know, who's to say I wouldn't have gotten the same experience if I would have gone for a project in dermatology, but I think there's a lot of value in finding a mentor or mentors that really are interested in your growth and your learning, regardless of specialty. And that's what I found in mine. And that was, again, so invaluable. Gotcha. So have a plan, but write it in pencil and keep your eyes open. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Since we are talking a lot about you know, the kind of patient care, uh, what goes into what you're looking for in being a doctor, what do you guys think that just being a doctor means? Oof, I feel like that's another really endless question. I don't know. To me, I guess at the core of it, it means I'm going to try to be the best person I can be, and I'm going to try to be the kindest and nicest person I can be which probably sounds really cheesy, but to me, I'm just like, if I'm just trying to be the best person I can be, that means I'm going to work hard for my patients. I'm going to go home at night. I'm going to try to read up on stuff so I can be better the next day. And to be the kindest person I can be, just because I've been in so many different scenarios where I'm like, this patient is really angry or really upset. And, you know, at the end of the day, one thing I never regretted in dealing with any patient ever dealt with is being kind because something always comes out at the end like you know this patient was really angry and swearing but then it comes out you know a week later like someone in their family had passed away like you just never regret being nice totally agree with that our advisors slash deans asked us this question at the very beginning of medical school and they asked us to kind of give the definition of what 
you know, being a doctor means. And there were a bunch of kind of little phrases. And the one that I ended up saying was being a good listener. And I think that's like the idealistic view of a doctor. And I think that when we go to the doctor's office, I think there was a study that most doctors cut off patients within 20 seconds of them talking. Um, And they're not actually great listeners, but I think that the, the history and physical is like, I think 80% of the diagnosis or something like that. There's another statistic of that too. So if you're, if you listen and you're thoughtful and you ask questions and you take that time, um, strategically, we now know, cause there is a time limit, but like strategically, and you do give your patient the time to express themselves, um, and tell you about what's going on. It's really invaluable. Um, I know that being a patient on the other end, I just really don't like it when my physicians run out of the room after two seconds of spending time with me. So I think that's what I love about practicing medicine. And it's something I'm going to continue to work on every day. It is a practiced skill for sure. Yeah, I I was going to ask the both of you questions about uh, medical professionalism and bedside manner, but I think both of you nailed it in the idea of listening, being kind, being there for your patients. Um, that's that's excellent, and inspiring for the future. So uh, thank you for that. And um, before we close up, I was talking to Sam before we started this interview about um, kind of people on the way towards medical school and the idea of how with a lot of the testing that happens for students, a lot of it is just like taking in all this knowledge, looking at it to exam question, answering it as fast as possible, and hoping that you're right. And do you think that that skill of being able to like look at an exam question and quickly figure it out, any parallels to medicine and being able to diagnose and insist your patients as fast as you can? I mean, I can't, we were talking about this, so I can start off. I will preface this by saying, I really dislike standardized exams. Mm -hmm. I don't think they do a great job of like necessarily testing your medical knowledge. I wish that it wasn't such a big deal in how people are evaluated in medical school, but I also understand that we need some sort of like objective marker. Um, But I would also say that, yeah, I think that the whole practice of medicine in medical school is trying to teach you pattern recognition. So when you don't have a lot of time to think, Uh, you're relying on your instincts. And our job as medical students is to hone those instincts as much as possible. And during residency, continue to hone them. And I think it's difficult to get a multiple choice exam to truly uh, mirror a clinical situation, Um, which is why I think that just putting yourself in those clinical situations is very important, even as a medical student, just ask questions and be present and observe. Um, But yeah, it's all about the quick thinking. And we were also talking about stamina, you know, having a three hour exam, well, that builds in the four and builds in the five and builds into your nine hours prep exams and then builds into your eventual 28 hour call one day. Like it's, it all kind of has a purpose and um, shaping you to be like resilient and think on your feet and be able to withhold the stamina that the field of medicine kind of requires of you. I think that the scripts are a little bit to blame, but at the same time, we have to find a way to 
put all this information in boxes and recognize these trends, but also be thoughtful about all the information in front of us. And I think that multiple choice exams are kind of like what Sam said, an objective piece of information. I think that they're never going to go away. And I do think that they are in one way helpful, but I also do think that there is literally no other value that can be placed on being in person and talking with your teammates about complicated patients and how to think about different symptoms, how to thoughtfully ask questions to a patient based on your differential that you're making in your mind as you're hearing their HP. It's very, it's a difficult question, but it's very much, I think everything is important, but it's a constant piece of work. It's a, it's a constant thing that you have to be thoughtful about. And speaking of not being caught in the monotony or what to do next or what to be expected of you, what words do you have since both of you are career changers for those sitting at their cubicle, hating what they're doing in life and are interested in getting into medicine? What words do you have for them? Uh, If you are analytical in nature or not, but I very much was, do your due diligence. I spent a year and a half in total, applying for other jobs, interviewing for other jobs in all different industries. And for me, it took a year and a half of due diligence to realize that no other desk job was going to excite me in the way that patient care would. Be very open to taking that time to explore every single other option. There's no rush and just take your time and figure it out for yourself. You can enter medicine at any age. Actually, I think we are average age for our class in Penn. It's really nice to be surrounded by a group of people who also value taking time to make decisions and you don't need to rush. Yeah, I guess I would say, I mean, throughout post-bac and even now, it's like imposter syndrome. It's so real, but just know that if you, 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 like you're being yourself, if you're passionate about what you're doing, um, if you're happy, that'll show through and you're going to learn so much and you're going to be a very competent and successful doctor. You are where you are at this point in time because you're supposed to be. And you'll con- like, I know that everyone out there you can continue putting the hard work and you'll get to where you're supposed to be. Don't ever like, doubt your abilities or think you're not supposed to be there. Like, you are and you will get where you want to go if you care enough and put in the work. Awesome. Thank you guys for slightly different answers, but both very powerful. And uh, I think that's a great way to end it off. So uh, this has been Samantha Ellison and Taylor Lineberg, and it has been an absolute pleasure. This has been Dean Wirtz, and thank you for joining us on this ride, listeners, and listening to Pen Pals.